and welcome to episode 5 of the second series of the Fountain Court podcast. I'm Damien Bruno, a barrister at Fountain Court Chambers. I recently spoke to four of our newest tenants about their experiences in the first few months of tenancy. We spoke about how tenancy differs from pupillage and how their experiences differed from their expectations. We also spoke about their caseload, their recent highlights, how the profession differs from other careers, and what it's like being a barrister, particularly at Fountain Court. Joining me in the discussion are Joseph Leach, Francesca Ruddy, Dan Schwenecker, and Hannah Bernstein. Before coming to the bar, Joe studied history at Cambridge and at Yale. In his first few months of tenancy, he was a full-time judicial assistant at the High Court. Dan also worked as a judicial assistant during his first few months of tenancy. He graduated from Oxford with a degree in classics and received a Henry Fellowship at Yale. Dan then completed an accelerated degree in law at Oxford. Francesca was previously the judicial assistant to Lord Hodge at the UK Supreme Court. Before coming to the bar, Francesca practiced as a solicitor at Herbert Smith Freehills where she acted in commercial disputes at all stages of litigation and arbitration. Before coming to the bar, Hannah was an economist and has advised a range of public bodies and multinational corporations on commercial disputes and operational challenges. She has a particular interest in regulated areas, such as aviation, banking, the professions, and competition law. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Fountain Court podcast. My name is Damien Bruno. I'm a junior tenant at Fountain Court. And today's topic is a typical day in the life of a new tenant in Chambers. And to discuss that topic, I'm delighted to welcome our four newest tenants, Francesca Ruddy, Hannah Bernstein, Dan Schwenecker, and Joseph Leach. I'm going to start by asking each of our guests to introduce themselves and to say a little bit about what they did before they came to the bar. Francesca, let's start with you. Thanks, Damien. So I studied law and French at the University of Glasgow, which included a year studying French law at Sciences Po in Paris. I then practised as a dispute solicitor before transferring to the bar as a career change in 2020. And immediately before joining French Court, I spent a year as the judicial assistant to Lord Hodge. Dan? I studied classics. I did a four-year degree in classics at Oxford. Then I studied law for two years and did a year abroad in the US studying classics and, and a little bit of law as well. And then I did the bar course and, and then I joined for pupillage and, and then I do course tenancy. And Hannah? I was working as a competition economist at PwC and in the course of that was working on some litigation and mm-hmm. thought that it would be more exciting to do the work from the perspective of the barrister. So I did a law conversion and a career change and that's how I came to you. And lastly, Joe. I studied history and did my, my first history degree and then did a master at Yale. And in the course of that, I started to do quite a lot of legal history and some jurisprudence and um, decided to just go the whole hog and turn into a lawyer. So I did the conversion course and BPTC um, and then I came here to teach. Very nice. So we've got a historian, a classicist, an economist, and a lawyer. So just one lawyer among us. All right, let's jump right in. Hannah, I'm going to start with you. Uh, You've now been a tenant for four or five months. How have you spent most of that time? 
So it's been a mixture of lead work and small claims cases that I've been able to do on my own. So the small claims cases are a really good opportunity to get some advocacy experience because during pupillage at Fountain Court, you don't do the traditional sort of second seat work on your feet. So these small claims cases are a really good good opportunity for you to go to the courts and get experience of doing that examination and that sort of thing, because they are claims that aren't high value and aren't as complex as as, as some of the other matters that more, more senior members do. Then at the same time, I've been doing some lead work where um, I've been working with a few different silks and senior juniors within chambers on a range of commercial fraud and competition cases. So tell me more about your small claims. What do those involve? Generally, they've involved... So so the, the, the first thing you do is a directions hearing where you effectively listen to, to what the both, both parties' arguments are and both parties put forward offers in an attempt to sort of bring about settlement. That tends to come up in PPI claims work. Then if no settlement is reached, you progress and go to a small claims county court to have a PPI trial where you effectively argue over whether there's been unfairness and whether there has what the quantum should be if there was unfairness. Those are most of the small claims cases I've been doing. There are some airline disputes, but because of COVID, those haven't been in such a high volume at the moment. Dan and Joe, I know you've had a, a slightly different start to your time as tenants. Uh, you've both been judicial assistants. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Let's start with you, Dan. Yes. So, so effectively, on the first day of tenancy, first day we became tenants, both Joe and I went to the High Court for three months. And that was an opportunity which we applied for during pupillage and which was very much encouraged by, by Chambers. So I, I sat in the commercial court for three months with different judges and saw a mixture of, of, of different types of court work. So on the one hand, applications. Applications in the commercial court are, are um, traditionally heard on, on Fridays, at least shorter ones are. And during the rest of the week, longer matters. So the longest trial that I was involved with as a judicial assistant was a, a six-week trial in, in the commercial court. And as a judicial assistant, your role is to, to assist the judge in, in whatever way he or she needs your assistance. And that, that will involve working on the documents which the, the lawyers, normally mainly the barristers, send to the court. So being the recipient of the skeleton arguments which, which barristers write and which um, now that I've started as a tenant, I've been writing as well. And reading and digesting witness evidence and also attending court and seeing how trials are conducted in, in the commercial court, which is of great value, I think, to, um, to somebody who's done pupillage at a commercial chambers, which, because of the, the many different cases that you experience during pupillage, is a little bit disparate and doesn't normally afford longer periods of time in court and on a particular case, especially given that um, during our pupillage, because of the pandemic, not many trials were actually happening in person. So it was really a valuable experience for me in all those respects. And uh, while you were a judicial assistant, were those hearings remote? Were they in person? So for me personally, it was a, it was a mix of, of different, different styles of hearings. So um, on the one hand, 
the applications, which were, I think almost all of them were, were remote. Then there were the trial, which I attended, the six-week trial. That was almost entirely impersonal, although some of the witnesses joined from abroad. And then a hearing, which I did for two weeks with a judge in the transfer division, was hybrid. And in fact, one of the hearings which I attended turned hybrid because one of the barristers got COVID and had to, had to join from home because of that. So really a, a range, a range of, of different styles, as I think is now the norm in the courts because of the pandemic. Well, that sounds great. So you've got Chancery Division, you've got Commercial Court, and you've got hearings from presumably a few hours to six weeks. Uh, that's a good range of stuff. Joe, how was your experience as a JA? Yeah, I, I did it the other way around to Dan because I sat primarily in the Chancery Division and then a little bit in the Commercial Court at the end. So the Chancery Division is a fascinating place because almost everything ends up there that isn't easily classifiable into any of the others classic chancery cases. So I sat with Mrs. Justice Bacon, Mr. Justice Saccaroli, and uh, Mr. Justice Adam Johnson in the Chancery Division for, for quite long since, and did a three-week professional negligence trial against a barrister, of all things, and then a whole range of smaller things from tax appeals through to classic chancery wills and trusts and property matters and some competition cases. So it was a, a sort of broad, fairly eclectic education in what ends up in the Chancery Division. And then latterly, I switched into the commercial courts and sat with Mr. Justice Foxman, primarily on arbitration appeals uh, and applications. So I, it was an incredibly broad experience, and um, I would recommend it to anyone. Uh, the judges are fantastically welcoming and supportive of the scheme, and so is Chambers. And I, I found that it was a great way to get on the other side of the bench for a substantial three-week trial, which uh, I hadn't had the opportunity to do in Peepage, although I had seen lots of work related to trials of that kind. I should say uh, I did a similar thing. When I finished my pupillage, I spent a, a, f- a few months, albeit all remotely because of the timing of it, as a judicial assistant in the commercial court, and it was incredibly valuable. And uh, you've both been uh, very clever and very erudite about what you liked a lot about the scheme, I should say that it's also just very fun to see the other side of the bench, just be on the other side of things, to know what the judges are thinking, uh, to know how about how they go about the work. And I, I just, um, I know this isn't a podcast about plugging the JA scheme, but I would say to anyone who who's interested in applying for that, that, that they really, really should. Francesca, how about you? What have your first few months of tenancy looked like? And in particular, has the work you did as a solicitor affected the work you now do as a junior tenant? Um, That's a very interesting question. I certainly, before I transferred to the bar, I practiced in commercial disputes. And so I already had quite an inkling that that was the area I wanted to practice in at the bar. And I've been very fortunate because Fountain Court, I think the areas of practice uh, marry up quite nicely with with what I was uh, doing before. And So I've done quite a few cases in France, for example, civil fraud and financial services and energy and infrastructure, which are similar to the cases I would have been doing before as a solicitor, only the role I'm now performing is different. Um, But there is also more variety at the bar, I would say. So touching on what Hannah mentioned earlier about small claims and doing your own advocacy, that's one of the reasons I transferred. And so it's great to have those smaller cases where you're on your feet before a judge making, say, a strikeout application or 
you know, you're at an allocation hearing trying to be allocated to the fast track rather than small claims track or, or whatever it may be. So, yes, uh, it's been a broad mixture covering small claims that you do on your own and then larger claims where you're led by, in some cases, a silk, in other cases, a whole team of, of, of uh, many barristers, um, depending on the scale of the claim. So one thing we haven't touched on is the courts that all of these matters are in. Which courts have you been in so far? So on the matters that I've been doing on my own, those have been in the county court. So I did a small claims trial in the county court about a month ago. I've got an allocation hearing coming up um, also in the county court. I've done some advisory work in the commercial court. So obtaining um, confidentiality orders and that kind of thing, which is quite exciting. The larger claims where I'm working as part of a team, some of those have been in the commercial court as well. One, we're looking at an appeal, which might go to the Court of Appeal, which is very exciting. Um, And there's also been some offshore work as well um, in different jurisdictions. That's great. So you really are spanning the whole depth and breadth of the court system. Yeah, I think what's great is the dedicated clerking system that we have means that you know, if you want to, say, sample a broad range of cases in your first year to work out what it is you want to focus on in the future, your clerks will support you to do that. You know, and they'll bring to your attention opportunities to uh, work on diverse and interesting areas of law and cases at different stages and in different courts, um, just so you can see what it is that, that most takes your fancy. Sounds great. Hannah, that's just reminded me to ask you a similar question. Has your work as an economist affected the sorts of cases you're working on as a barrister? Yes, um, I was very keen when joining the bar and coming to the bar that I used the skills that I had gained when working as an economist uh, in my career at the bar. So whilst I am keen to do a range of work and commercial cases and some fraud cases as well, I'm also keen to keep up that competition side of things. And so I have been working on some competition cases where the economics has come in useful, um, particularly when it comes to reviewing the expert reports and understanding the work that they've done. My work as an economist has been really helpful because it, it's given me a better starting point to get uh, to get into the depths of these cases. Saying that the economics is also useful on the other cases, just having an understanding of um, the mathematical side of things can be helpful, particularly when you're looking at sort of fraud claims and you're looking at where the money's gone and how it's been spent and assessing what proportion of things has gone on to what. It's useful to have that background. So, so what I would say is, even if you've come from a background which you might think isn't traditionally useful in a career in law, it, it can actually come in handy in unexpected ways. And it definitely has for me. Yeah, that sounds right. I, I now feel like I should have had a better economics knowledge before coming <laughs> into law. I guess there's no changing that now. <laughs> Joe, it's probably unfair to ask you uh, how your work as a historian has influenced your work as a barrister. But tell me, have you had any recent highlights? Um, yeah, well, I, I, I can maybe answer both questions because uh, as soon as I got back from a commercial court, uh, I ended up in an application in the Chancery Division on a privilege matter. And that that was a really fascinating case. It was an application to have the other side's solicitors restrained from acting on the grounds that it's access to some of our side's privileged material. And the law of privilege is one of those really fascinating areas in the law, which has developed in a strange way over time, and primarily as a result of changing historical circumstances and different latitudes to, to concepts like privilege and also concepts about what the legal profession is. 
So areas of law like that definitely good scope for a historical perspective on the case law, but also a very practical approach to what you're trying to achieve and how you're going to go about it. And the outcome of that application was not straightforward, as, as many privilege applications aren't. So, yeah, that, that was a demonstration for me of how some of these areas of law can be informed historically. Sounds fascinating. Dan, how about you? Any recent highlights? Yes, I was in the commercial court last week, sort of on the other side, on the, on the barrister side of, uh, of the whole equation, and acting on behalf of a Swiss bank, which was challenging the jurisdiction of the English court, um, as being led by a Silicon Chambers, Laura John Cusey. And um, it was a one and a half day hearing. Uh, and I think it's a, a good example of the type of work that even at the very junior end, you can expect to experience in chambers. You know, substantial jurisdiction application raising really interesting and, and novel points of law to do with how the Lugano Convention applies to claims which were issued in the Brexit transitional period. And in, in due course, when, when we receive judgment, I'm sure there'll be questions about whether whether this case is, is suitable for appeal. And um, of course, if we lose the jurisdiction application, uh, there'll be questions about how to how to defend the claim in the English courts. So that for me certainly was was a highlight in terms of being the type of work that I really hope that I might be able to see when I come to the bar. Great. So we've got jurisdiction, privilege, civil fraud cases, financial regulation, competition. I'm sure I've missed a few things out. So in the first four or five months of your practice collectively, uh, you've managed to span quite a range. I I think that's uh, really interesting to hear and probably really useful for people listening to this podcast to hear that there really is a a broad range of work in chambers and any of the sort of stuff you you want to do is accessible to you and from a very early stage. So that said, let's move away from what you've been up to recently and talk a little bit about the transition from pupillage to tenancy and and how that's been. Hannah, let me start with you again. How did that look for you? Did you have any misconceptions about what being a a tenant was going to be like? Yeah. And before I came to the bar, I always sort of my nervous side was always worried that being a barrister would be quite lonely and that it would mean you sort of spending all your time in a room alone, working alone. And actually, in practice, it's been totally different to that. During pupillage, it was totally different to that in probably more predictable ways. You're sat in the room with your supervisor. You're working with various people across chambers, having discussions with them about the work you're doing. But actually, that continued on into tenancy. Whilst I'm not sitting in a room with my supervisor anymore, I am sitting in a room with Joe, which is a nice treat every day. But also I'm working with still with members across chambers and with with members of the bar outside of chambers. And actually, it's very collaborative. Um, Whilst there is the independence of doing your own pieces of work and and being able to take that in the direction you choose, you do have a lot of of feedback and and interaction with more senior members of your team who really sort of give you good advice and guidance as you're going. And saying that, that there's also guidance sort of on the less technical aspects of the work from my supervisors who I was sitting with during pupillage, which has been really nice when I've been stuck on on a sort of more general question of what to do or who to contact or how to go about things. They're always there to just pop in to see them in their rooms or, or give them a ring. And they've all, they're always happy to give me guidance. So yeah, I think I was definitely worried that it would be lonely, but actually it hasn't really been like that at all. 
So for me, that was my biggest misconception. I'm pleased to hear it. And I can certainly back you up on that one. It's definitely not a lonely job. There's always somebody who you're working with or working for. And it does feel far more collaborative than I think I also thought it was going to be. You touched on a few differences between tenancy and your pupillage year. Now, we have a whole podcast. I think one of the early episodes was on pupillage. So let's not go too deeply in that. Maybe I'll ask Joe to pick up on this one. Joe, what would you say the main differences are between your pupillage year and starting out as a tenant? Well, suddenly you're cast out into this whole world of barristering to make your own way, which initially is quite a daunting prospect. And it's certainly true to say that there is a learning curve. But quite quickly, you realise that what that means is that you actually have the freedom to plan to an extent your own practice and also to manage your own time. This is not a nine to five job. It's not a normal job with set hours and set bosses and company structures. Uh, It is self-employment and that can be very liberating. You know, I, I can plan out my diary to an extent when I'm going to take holiday. I just put it in the diary. Um, and if I want to to work more intensely in periods, then that's what I do. So it, it's very liberating in that way. And the second thing to say is that when you stop being a pupil and start being a tenant, you, you realise how important your relationship with your clerks is. And as a pupil, you don't really meet the clerks very much um, because your supervisor, at least in these chambers, acts kind of like a clerk. They get working for you. But suddenly you're a tenant and you have, in all of our cases, two clerks looking after you and suddenly you have a relationship with these people who uh, their job is to to get the work and bring it in distribute it match up the right work with the right people so uh, i'm in touch with my clerks every day pretty much they are fantastically effective and efficient at managing my diary much more effective than i would be uh, myself in that i'm prone to double booking so they make sure that things like that don't happen, that I have enough work, but not too much at any given time, and that I've got the time to do a proper job on all my matters. So it involves developing your relationship with them and planning out your career in, in this quite unusual profession, um, which is a fantastic challenge. I think we'll come on to sort of the, the, the joys of being a barrister in a second. I'm interested in, uh, just very quickly, whether you miss any of the comforts of being a pupil? Well, <laughs> absolutely. It's I said it is daunting, and um, maybe I'll say it again. It is daunting. You suddenly your name goes on work as a pupil. Uh, you know you do work for supervisors, and then they sign it, which is quite comforting because they have checked it. Now, obviously, if you're led, your leader will normally check your work, and in my case, always improve it. But you actually do put your name on things. So that's one of the, the things that is attractive about being a barrister, that you have personal responsibility for your work and you take personal credit for it when it's good. The flip side is obviously your name's on it, even if it's not good. So there is a slightly more high-octane uh, world than being a pupil, but that comes with its upsides as well, obviously. So, so what we're saying is that uh, pupils shouldn't be as nervous as they sometimes are. Absolutely. <laughs> Your prospects of being taken on are very good. You're protected by your pupil supervisor. It's actually a, a far more fun world than I think we, we often appreciate being a pupil. Okay, let's move on to being a barrister more generally. Francesca, maybe I can start with you. How have you found the transition from being a pupil to being a barrister? And particularly, could you say something about 
what the advantages are of being a barrister, perhaps as compared to being a solicitor? Sure. So I think first off, I should say I actually really enjoyed my time as a solicitor um, and in particular the team that I worked with um, at my old firm. And I think fundamentally between the two professions, it comes down to what your working style is and what your personal preferences are in terms of what you want to spend your time on. And for me, I think I probably like to work more independently and to keep hours that might not fit neatly with a nine to five. But I think so long as you get the work done, you're probably more able at the bar to work in a manner that works for you and to work more flexibly. I think also having a bit more control over your practice is something that I've noticed since I've joined the bar. You know, having dedicated clerks who, as Joe was mentioned, work with you to shape your future practice in the direction you want to take, rather than sort of inheriting a specialism from the team that you qualify into as a solicitor. That's certainly something that that, um, I very much appreciate now. Overall, I think it's been great to graduate from pupillage, um, fun as it was. I think by the end, we were all chomping at the bit to, you know, get out and get started on on real cases and, you know, start forging our own path. So um, it's been great to have the opportunity to do that. And yes, I think probably final comments to any solicitors out there thinking of switching. I haven't regretted it for a second. It's really useful to have that background and that experience to understand what solicitors are looking for from the barristers they instruct and to have relationships with your old firm, with other solicitors you've met, and just to understand a little bit about the work that goes on in the background, you know, before instructions are sent to the the barristers or what your work product as a barrister is going to be used for. Um, So that I found has been very helpful in my first few months of practice. And now I wish both that I'd been an economist before I became a barrister and a solicitor before I'd become a barrister. I feel like you're all a whole lot more accomplished and are ready for this job than I am. We touched a little bit on clerking there. I wonder, you know, I, Joe did too. Dan, I wonder if you could say a little bit more about clerking at Fountain Court and how that relationship has helped you sort of form a practice in your early months and what the relationship is essentially between you and your clerks. Yes, well, it's it's a big topic and I um, certainly do, don't want to do any disservice or injustice to the wonderful work that, that the clerks do do here. So I can just speak to my, my personal experience, which is that I was at the High Court for three months when I started. So I was very concerned that when I arrived here for, for, for tenancy proper in, in January, that I wouldn't have any work. I wasn't sure what kind of work I could get, whether I would have to wait for weeks in, in order to, to have something on my desk. And the way that the clerks managed that in the run-up, so, so before I even started in January, in, in December, I had a meeting with both my clerks. And I think that meeting really brought home to me the, the virtues of, of the clerking system and in particular at um, the way things are done at these chambers, which is that it, it's a very bespoke, bespoke service, in a sense. Uh, the clerks didn't say, this is the type of work that we have and this is what you'll be doing in January. and We've blocked out your diaries for January to March. Um, Good luck with that. Instead, we had a constructive conversation about what type of work I'd be interested in doing and the the types of work that were normally available for people of my juniority. And the clerks arranged it in such a way that when I turned up at the office in January, 
there, there was something on my desk and there was interesting work from the get-go, uh, both small work and larger work led by other members, members of chambers. And I'd say that that to me really is, those aspects are really what's distinctive about the Garfield at Fountain Court. Certainly, um, when I when I compare it to some of the stories you hear about clerking, clerking elsewhere, it's a bespoke service. The clerks are looking out for you and discuss w- with you what you want from your practice and, and help you achieve those goals. So, so all I can say is that we're really incredibly, incredibly fortunate. I agree. And that maps very much onto my experience. I think um, one of the phrases around Chambers is that our clerking is very much member-led and uh, in my experience, that's been much more than a buzzword. That is just true, is in terms of both practice areas. So if there's a type of work I'd like to do, I can ask the clerks to try and find that work for me. And that's inevitably been successful. If I want to do a certain kind of work, they're able to find that and offer that to me. But also in terms of time and amount of work, I know Francesca touched on this earlier, she said that um, being a barrister has been quite flexible and she can, I think Joe said the same thing. You, you can manage your diary to be more or less intense at different times according to what it is you want. And I think that is a really interesting thing about our clerking system is that, that that's right. We can set aside periods where we are more or less busy and the choice is very much uh, the members rather than the clerks. With that, maybe I'll just ask Hannah, do you have anything you wanted to say about being a barrister, the upsides of that? I think I would just sort of touch on, on what was said before and about sort of work-life balance. I think um, but because of that flexibility and that degree of control over how much work you take on and when you want to be, be busy, there is a real sense of control and independence over when you do your work and what your work-life balance is. If you prefer working late at night, the, the bar is fine with that. If you prefer working very early in the mornings, it, it doesn't really matter. There's no sort of fixed timetable as there is if you're in a sort of regular job where you have to show up in the office between certain hours it's all very much within your control so I've really liked that to have the sort of freedom to decide that for myself and to decide for myself exactly how much holiday I'm going to take where I'm going to go I mean nobody really decides where you're going to go (laughs) (laughs) it would be nice though if if the clerks could sort that out too Uh, if they could sort that out that would be yeah yeah, a little holiday in the Gambia for you (laughs) (laughs) but yeah no the the control over it is is very nice I also think you do have a good sort of sense of security um in that once you're taken on you have your career I suppose that's why the pupillage process is so rigorous because once you're in I think it's quite hard for them to kick you out yeah I I appreciate that every day the the fact that I'm difficult to get rid of (laughs) I, I mean in all seriousness it's not so much about being difficult to get rid of it's about being secure there's a sense that you're very much uh here for life, if that's what you want to be, which which sort of leads me to another question. And I, I might as well ask you, Hannah, since we're on the topic. I often get asked by many pupils and people who come in for interviews about the atmosphere in chambers. So tell me about the atmosphere in chambers. And is this the kind of place you would like to be working for life? Yeah, it is. It's very much an open door kind of place. As I said before, it's very easy to pop into somebody's room to ask a question, um, to ring somebody up just to sort of see how they're doing. Um, and, and that makes it a really nice place to work. You have a sort of permanent sense of support and sort of collegiality around chambers in a way that is really helpful 
to your career, but also it's great for building relationships. So, so another sort of thing that I was slightly worried about for pupillage and and in general at coming to the bar is that there would be a sort of competitive atmosphere because you could be on, instructed on the other side as members of chambers who you're working around but actually that doesn't really happen at all if anything there's just a really nice positive atmosphere and you know it as far as I've seen nobody seems to hold a grudge even if they are on other side the other side of cases it just seems to be a sort of nice story of oh when I was against them I saw them do this and it was really great to see you sort of learn from from those who you see rather than there being any animosity. Francesca how have you found the atmosphere in Chambers? I would very much agree with what Hannah said I think one aspect of this job that is quite unique is how unpredictable it can be. You know, we've spoken about the work the clerks do to make sure the practice you have reflects what you want. But the nature of the job is that sometimes you have a judge that asks for submissions after your hearing is finished on a new case that's just been published, as happened to me just a couple of weeks ago, or indeed as happened this week. A last minute application is made by the other side a few days before hearings about to start. And I think in other circumstances, those kinds of challenges would be quite daunting. But working with members in chambers, you're never alone. You know, you've always got someone you can turn to for advice and um, you can pick up the phone to your silk and um, between you thrash out a solution to whatever has arisen. So that's something I've, I've very much enjoyed. And perhaps it was a misconception I had about the bar before I moved over. Um, you know, like Hannah, I thought it might be a bit isolated. But in fact, there's a real sense of belonging within chambers. And you know, there's a real effort in particular by those in the Wellbeing Committee um, and more generally senior leadership um, within chambers to make sure that, you know, if we encounter something new or challenging, there's someone we can speak to about it and um, we can get adequately supported to to work out how to respond. Yeah, I have a similar story, actually, if I, if I may add my own anecdote to this podcast. My very first hearing was to do with the questioning of a judgment debtor. And my client was the debtor and my client was not going to turn up. And I had to take his sick note to the judge, which the judge eventually didn't find to be a very convincing sick note. And I had a, a horrible feeling that my client and my very first hearing was going to be in contempt of court and a warrant might be issued for his arrest. And this was slightly more stressful than it sounds. I hope it sounds stressful. And I was in the library in Fountain Court trying to work out everything I could about the law of contempt. It's not something I'd come into contact with before. I don't know anyone whose first ever client went to prison. And Paul Gott came in and he could see that he was, uh, he could see that I was clearly stressed, clearly worried about what was going to happen. He asked me what was wrong, why I was so stressed. And then he just proceeded to reassure me, point me to the right books, tell me the relevant parts of the law of contempt. And off I went to court, sort of reassured by one of the top QCs in chambers, felt good about what I had to say. The hearing happened as it did, and it all went fine. And that was largely because of not even formal support in chambers, just the fact that someone was around and was clearly willing to help. And sort of since that day, I very much felt just to bring this back around to the first point on this topic, that th this is very much a, the kind of place where I'd be very happy to work for the rest of my career. Uh, it's a good place to be. Let's wrap up with what is something of a traditional question on this podcast, talking about careers. Uh, I'm going to ask each of you what you would be if you weren't a barrister. 
Hannah, let me start with you. My answer is really boring and quite predictable because I did actually really enjoy being an economist. So if I hadn't moved, I, I think I would be an economist probably for life. So a boring answer, but, but there you go. Oh, also a very good answer. It suggests you've made two good decisions in a row, which is more than I can say of my, my own career path. Dan, what would you be if you, if you weren't a barrister? I would be a, um, a classical scholar. I would read ancient Greek poetry for, for a living. A good and very sophisticated answer. Joe, how about you? Yeah, I, I, I would be a historian, but it does involve a lot of time in dusty libraries, so I'm not. <laughs> maybe one day, maybe you can get back to it. Uh, Francesca, if you weren't a barrister, what would you, what would you do? I think I'd probably be a novelist. It's not a very developed plan, obviously, and um, I'm sure it's much more difficult than I've imagined it to be as a career, but I always thought it would be quite a lot of fun. Well, I'm glad to hear your, your, your plan's not very well developed because uh, it would be terrible if we lost you so, so quickly. And this goes for all of you. We're, we're all very pleased to have you here as our newest tenants. And I guess the last thing to do in this podcast is thank you all very much for your time. This has been interesting, and I'm very grateful to have had you on the line. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you. So there you have it. I hope that was an interesting insight into the life of a new tenant. Thank you again to my colleagues for joining me in the discussion. Thank you for listening to the Fountain Court podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and to listen to some of the other episodes we have available. You can also join us next time for more discussion and legal analysis.